This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. Nation presents podcasts. Very rarely do we have in the Bible a story of a woman where there's no husband, there's no child, she is just a woman by herself, middle aged to older, and she is an authority. And one of the things I love about the story is no one questions that. Women of the Bible speak. Now, here's your host, Shannon Bream. Welcome to Women of the Bible Speak podcast. I'm your host and author of the book, Shannon Bream. Whether you grew up going to Sunday school and reading the Bible or you haven't read it in years, there are so many inspiring and timeless stories in the Bible, and many people don't realize what a big role women played in these stories. These women I write about are dealing with things that are still relevant to the women of 2021. They are all amazing lessons that fit today that we can all find inspiration and hope from. We have a true expert with us today. If you have questions, I wish I could take questions. I'm just going to channel all the questions through me um, because uh, Mary Grace Dupree is joining us. She is a history fellow at Emory University. She specializes in biblical scholarship and early Christian theology and has been um, a key team member on this project, our Fox Nation series, the book, everything. Uh, Mary Grace Dupree, so great to see you. So great to be here. Thank you, Shannon. So these women, um, I found that people had so many questions and didn't know a lot of these stories. Um, you study them, you know them better than anyone probably. Why do you think it is, even for people who consider themselves to be somewhat biblically literate and um, people who go to church, people of faith, don't know these fascinating stories about these women? Well, I think there are a couple of really good reasons for that, Shannon. And I think one of the reasons is that particularly as Christians, we tend to focus more on women of the New Testament. And a lot of the stories of women of the New Testament loom a lot larger in our imagination, and they tend occasionally to overshadow those older stories. But one of the things that happens when we let the newer stories overshadow the older stories is that we forget that these writers of the New Testament, even though they are writing about flesh and blood real women that they personally knew in many cases, they are still, as ancient writers would do, drawing on the sort of archetypes of these new of these Old Testament women. Mm -hmm. So that, for instance, when Luke in his gospel has Mary utter her song of praise, lying in back of that is Hannah's prayer. Mm He's -hmm. using that same language to draw a connection there. So if we don't pay attention to those stories of the Old Testament, we are going to miss out on so much of what's happening in the New Testament and so much of the depth and nuance there. Mm -hmm. So that's just preliminary. I think part of that is as Christians, we do tend to laser focus on the New Testament. But another part of it is the way that early Christians told these stories. Early Christians 
after they had met the risen Jesus, they were so on fire with love for Jesus that it, it cracked open the scriptures for them. And they saw all of the scriptures in a completely new way. And you can imagine how excitedly they would flip through the pages and see Jesus here and Jesus there. Everything was electrified for them. And we can track points of that in the New Testament. For instance, um, Peter and John, when they appear before the Sanhedrin in the Acts of the Apostles, Peter says to the Sanhedrin, the stone which the builders rejected is Christ. And of mm -hmm. course, he's referring back there to Psalm 118, the stone which the builders rejected has become the head of the corner, which any devout Jew would know that psalm. Mm -hmm. and, and Peter looks at it and says, yes, that's Jesus. He's seeing Jesus in the text. Paul in 1 Corinthians says the same thing. He talks about the Israelites wandering in the desert, and he says, they drank from the spiritual rock which followed them. And that rock was Christ. So Paul is seeing in the story of the Israelites in the desert, he's seeing Jesus there. And even in the Gospels, Jesus himself refers back to the book of Jonah as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the whale. So will the Son of Man be all of these connections. Um, the Gospel of Matthew at Jesus's crucifixion refers us back to Psalm 22. And all of a sudden, that psalm has new meaning when it says they cast lots for my clothing. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, the gospel writers now see all of that fulfilled. And these are beautiful and poetic ways to read scripture. And it really informed and shaped the way early Christian theology grew. But the only problem with that is that if that's the only way you're reading the text, some things will tend to get erased. And if you just look at the text in order to, to use a mildly irreverent phrase, Jesus mine it, right? If mm -hmm. you're only laser focused on that, you will tend to take things that don't quite fit and just put them aside a little bit. So think again about the story of the Passover and Exodus and the way early Christians looked at that and said, that is just like our passage from death to life in the resurrection. All of that is a prophecy of what we experience as Christians. The problem with that is when the whole story becomes about that, what room does that then leave for Miriam? Mm -hmm. Where does the very human figure of Miriam fit once you have imposed this larger theological framework on top of it? It means that sometimes these individual stories of women tend to get a bit lost. But I don't mean to put this all off at Christians of yesterday and say, oh, it's all that they didn't read it mm -hmm. the right way, because we do that a lot too, in the mm -hmm. way that we Christians of today tell these stories. And I think a lot of it begins in Sunday school. We tell the stories that we think will engage children the most. We tell these hero stories. And it is a sad truth that every marketing executive knows that by about age seven or eight, girls will be really happy to play with toys that are meant for boys and to hear stories about boys. But boys start to become impatient at that age with stories that are about girls. Because mm. that's the age that we tend to socialize them. And they've already started to pick up on the message women's things are a bit lesser. They're not as good as boy stuff. 
So that's a cultural message that's going on there. And the tragedy is that means that they are not hearing some of the Bible stories that they could. And I don't mean to put all of this off on um, on cultural things like that, because a lot of the stories about women in the Bible are really difficult to sell in Sunday school. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> we could tell the story of David and Goliath. But let's take the story of of J.L., sawing off Sisera's head. Right. With a tent peg. Yeah. <laughs> That's a lot for a kid. You can't do that in flannel graph. I mean, no, I guess no. you could try. I mean, but... I mean, you could, but <laughs> I think the parents would not take them back to Sunday school the next right. week. They would be like, wait a minute. You're telling stories about a guy getting killed right. with a tent peg through his head. Right. You know, now, we... Kids would love it. I think it would be a great No, sound, I think that but, kids would yeah. be right. They would think it's so entertaining and like, gross, this is awesome. One of the other stories um, that we talk about is Tamar. And we even talk about how that is not an easy one to tell in Sunday school either. And the funny thing is, you know, I've had a chance to do these podcasts um, to talk to people about different parts of the book. And I said to my mom, who is a very devout Christian, who do you want to talk about? And I thought, I don't know who she'll pick. She picked Tamar. And I said, mom, I can't believe you're picking Tamar. And she said, you know, um, she said, I feel like she's an underdog and like people don't understand her whole story and that no one talks about her because it's uncomfortable. And it's a, you know, it's a saucy story. She makes some very questionable decisions. Um, but, you know, she points out she ends up in the lineage of Christ and her story is there for a reason. And so my mom is not, you know, afraid of taking on these stories. So we had this whole podcast about Tamar, um, but she's just one of the stories that's sort of lesser known, but even details about Queen Esther or someone as amazing and prominent as Deborah, who was leading the nation of Israel. Um, I find even those details, sometimes people maybe have an overview at best of the story, But when you tell them the details of the story, and as I say to people, these stories are fascinating from scripture. We don't have to add to them. It's nice to give them, you know, cultural or historical context, but they stand alone as beautiful stories that we can learn lessons from that very much we can apply in 2021. And I think one of the things that your book is doing is just shining a spotlight on the stories that are already there, Mm -hmm. pulling them out in relief a little bit. And I think one of the difficult things about some of these stories is so many of them do focus on women's gender roles at the time Mm -hmm. and their relations with men. For instance, the story of Tamar, there's some uncomfortable stuff in there that you really can't talk about with the Sunday school class of young kids in the same way that you can talk about David with his slingshot. There's mm-hmm. nothing uncomfortable there. And, and definitely JL and especially Queen Esther. Mm-hmm. There's a whole lot of, of gender relationship packed in there that's, that's hard to... Um, Complex. Yeah, it's really mm-hmm. hard to flatten that down. But I think that's one of the reasons that I love the story of Deborah so much. Mm-hmm. Because very rarely do we have in the Bible a story of a woman where there's no husband, there's no child, she is just a woman by herself, middle-aged to older, and she is in authority. And one of the things I love about the story is no one questions that. Right. It's not ever an issue. No one ever says, what are we doing with a woman leading us? It's not even in the story. It's just assumed that a woman of her age and authority, naturally, she bears responsibility. Naturally, she's a mother in Israel. And that's one of the reasons I, I love that story, but also because she has such great poetry. Mm-hmm. You have this woman of authority united with some of the most beautiful poetry in the Bible, but it's one of the stories where her femaleness is really incidental to the story. The story would be just as beautiful and moving if Deborah were male. 
Mm-hmm. And I cannot think of any other story in the Bible that centers a woman in which that's true. Mm-hmm. So I think I think Deborah could give David a run for his money in some <laughs> You know, and I, and people, when people ask about her and then I start to tell the story a little bit and, um, you know, people who are not people of faith or of church or whatever, they, they've never heard of Deborah and even people within church are like, oh yeah, remember something about her. But when you talk, when you think about everything, not only was she this, this respected, um, legal and theological leader settling disputes, she leads Israel into this battle that on paper, they should not have had a chance at all to win. And she doesn't hesitate. I mean, her general does, but she She's like, nope, we've been told to go, let's go. But you mentioned the poetry too, after they're victorious, after this whole thing, she's kind of a worship leader too, leading the people in song and this poetry and constantly um, reflecting back, praise be to God. I mean, she really kind of does everything. Um, She's like the Swiss army knife of women of the Bible. Yeah, and we tend to think of, of poetry and strategy as two separate gifts, but so often in the biblical text, they're not. It's assumed that if you are close enough to God to be winning his battles, you are also going to be close enough to have your heart be a liar of his praise, to be turned into a glorious heart the way Deborah is. I, just, I really love that story. We'll have more of this interview coming up. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Hey there, it's me, Kennedy. Make sure to check out my podcast, Kennedy Saves the World. It is five days a week, every week. Download and listen at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. I also wanted to say that some of these stories, it kind of depends on where you're standing in the room um, because we hear them different ways from different perspectives. And we often forget that our Jewish brothers and sisters, for instance, have been inhabiting these stories for much longer than we have. Right. Mm-hmm. And sometimes when we don't listen to their voice, we sometimes miss out on some of the things that they are seeing. And we forget the way that we see as Christians um, is, is very unique to us. And I have a rabbi friend of mine who was looking to expand his synagogue's nursery wing. So he went to his pastor friend and said, can we see your nursery so I can see what you guys did? I think that's the template we want to use. His pastor friend said, sure. And he's giving him a tour of their nursery facilities. And he opens the preschool room and turns on the light. And the rabbi gasps because on the wall is a mural of Noah's Ark. And he says, what Uh... is that doing in here? And his pastor's friend says, well, it's the animals two by two with the kangaroo, right? What could be better Mm -hmm. for the kids? And the rabbi's like, it's the apocalypse. (laughs) That's true. Why children that on a wall for kids to see? Mm -hmm. And a pastor friend was like, oh yeah, I never thought about it. (laughs) It was a devastating, catastrophic, multi-fatal of the whole planet almost situation. But you're right. And, And as Christians, we see that and we see it as a cheerful hopeful, like God saves Noah. These are all the animals that we have now. God saved everybody. Um, but there were a lot of people that weren't saved in that. And it was a catastrophic, worldwide, devastating event. And you're right. It's a totally different perspective on it. I mean, one thing I've loved about this book and talking about these stories with my Jewish friends is that um, they say, you know, I love that your book isn't just the New Testament. And I think they sort of assumed it would be focused that way. 
So for them, they love that people are hearing stories that they cherish, that cut across cultural lines, that have great deep meaning, um, regardless of your personal faith tradition. And so I love that some of them have said to me like, oh my goodness, I love that you're telling Esther's story. I love that you're um, sharing these details of stories that we don't often think that we think that Christians are just sitting around reading the New Testament all the time in their churches and their Bible studies. So it's been a great uh, conversation to have with people to share that story across faith traditions. And I think as Christians, we do tend to do that. Going back to the Sunday school model, we tend to start off with the Old Testament stories because in our Christian formation, we are telling the story of salvation. So we start with Adam and Eve, and then we march along. And there's this expectation that by the time you're an adult and an adult Bible study, really you're going to be focusing on the New Testament stories. So we do tend to do that. We do tend to say, well, the Old Testament stuff is less relevant. And we forget the way early Christians saw this as an an unbreakable tapestry Mm -hmm. woven together, that these stories lie alongside each other. The story of Hannah lies alongside that of Mary, the mother of Jesus, and they Mm -hmm. speak to each other. I guess hence the title of the book is (laughs) the women of the Bible speak, but they're also speaking to each other and their Mm -hmm. stories are reflecting each other. Mm -hmm. And it's like you said, I love that idea of an unbreakable tapestry and the home I grew up in, um, you know, my parents were, you know, the Christian faith and we went to a couple different denominations, but had all the important things like in common with them about Christ as savior. But my uh, family always had such a strong emphasis on the old Testament as well. I mean, to memorize it, to know it, to know the stories. Um, My stepfather is very much into prophecy. He loves spending time in Daniel. And these books, I think, sometimes are very difficult to understand, but he's so well-versed in that. And I think it does color everything that you look at the prophecies of, you mentioned so many of them at the beginning of the podcast, the references back to Psalms. And Isaiah, there's so much in there that we can look and see how Christ fulfills um, these prophecies. And so they are interconnected. And I love that this book had such a heavy emphasis on the Old Testament, um, really probably more more weighted that way than even in the New Testament, but um, also wanted to include at the end of the book, these relationships that Jesus had with women of his day, because they were not the cultural norm that he would go uh, to the woman accused of adultery or go to the, the Samaritan woman at the well. And you can give us good context for that. And the fact that the Jewish people and the Samaritans did not like each other. These people, they, they were not having picnics together. They were not, um, you know, relating to each other. There was great enmity between them. Um, give us a little bit of context of what it would mean for him to go and speak to this woman. I think the woman there is the key word rather than Samaritan. So it's true that there was a lot of friction between Jews and Samaritans and, and think of a lot of, um, internal Christian friction. I'm sure we can all think of examples of certain Christian bodies that don't play well with with other Mm -hmm. communities. So the Jewish Samaritan situation was somewhat like that. But more shocking than that is his relationship with her as a woman. Mm -hmm. We do not think it's strange that a man should have a conversation in public with another woman. There's nothing improper in that. But in Jesus's day and age, there was for a man to have a conversation in public with a woman says that he regards her as a social equal. Mm-hmm. And that's what he's saying in every conversation that he has, even when he has that conversation with the Syrophoenician woman, when she's begging him to come heal her daughter. And he's mm-hmm. like, you know, not, not now. And he's telling her, I got things to do. 
he is still talking to her, Mm -hmm. whereas it would have been more the social norm for him to keep walking and pretend that she is not speaking. Because in, in its strictly interpreted communities, like the ones Jesus would have lived in, if a woman speaks out of turn, you simply ignore her. You Mm. do not respond in any way. But we see Jesus again and again responding not only to strangers, but taking women into his inner circle as friends. And of course, Mm -hmm. the preeminent example of that would be Martha and Mary. Mm -hmm. And we look a lot at that story and we think, oh, you know, Jesus is called to um, adjudicate this dispute between Martha and Mary. And we want to look at the dispute itself. That's not the fascinating thing. The fascinating thing is that he's engaged in that conversation with them where he's like, you know, Martha, Mary has a point, you know, Mary, Martha, (laughs) right? And he's like, friends, like, what, what are you doing? What are these women even in the room for? The fact that Mary was sitting at the feet of a rabbi would have been so radically shocking to anyone in that day and age that even though this is not mentioned in the Gospels, I would be very surprised if in the enmity that the religious authorities had for him, that did not play a part. Mm-hmm. It surely did. We can see Jesus's intense scriptural training and everything that he says, we know this man was so well-educated and so soaked in the scriptures, both, both as man and as God, obviously. But for him then to take that training and say, I don't think this is right. I'm going to do something a little different with it, would have made him more shocking than we realize. Mm-hmm. We don't see how stunning it is in these stories that women travel with him that women are numbered in his disciples, that the morning of the resurrection, who is it that brings the news of the resurrection? It's Mary Magdalene and the other women. And in the Eastern Orthodox traditions, Mary Magdalene is called the apostle to the apostles. Mm -hmm. You know, she is the one who brings the news. It was women from the very first. So as a scholar, I sometimes get frustrated when um, I encounter people who who live outside of a faith community or maybe don't know much about Christianity, but they're like, oh, Christianity, um, isn't that that faith that, that doesn't think much of women? And mm-hmm. I want to say, what are you talking about? I know. Christianity is the faith that said to women, your soul is equal to a man's. You sit at Jesus's feet, just like the men do, and you make choices about your soul, just like men do. Mm-hmm. And that was a radical thing. The Roman Empire hated that. They did not like that early Christians told their women they could decide whether they wanted to get married or not. But all of that springs from the way that Jesus treated women and saw them as individuals with free choice and free will and with beautiful souls gifted them from God. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why this book too has been, speaking of gifts, such a gift to share with people that there are things that you don't understand or know about Christ that are so positive and wonderful about these relationships with women, about his regard and respect and compassion for them um, saying, I don't condemn you. I mean, I think that it's such a gift to tell people um, all of these stories and about highlighting Christ's relationship with these women so that they um, may never have known. And they're surprised and happy to learn some of what they're learning from this book. I learned a lot in the process. I've learned a ton from you. And I thank you for giving us some extra time today for our Women of the Bible podcast. Um, and we look forward to all of what you will continue to do in your scholarship. And uh, what a blessing that you are in um, teaching all of us more about this in the process. Mary Grace Dupree, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Shannon. It's been a delight to be here. 
talk to you again soon. That's it for this version of the Women of the Bible Speak podcast. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for listening to Women of the Bible Speak on the Fox News Podcast Network. For more of this podcast series, you can go to foxnewspodcast.com. Please rate and review this one wherever you download podcasts. We want to hear what inspires you. My book, Women of the Bible Speak, The Wisdom of 16 Women and Their Lessons for Today is out March 30th and available for pre-order right now at foxnews.com books. This has been Fox News Presents Podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. Guy Benson. Join me weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and guests. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the free podcast at GuyBensonShow.com.